Justin Trudeau goes on an international junket to lecture others about climate change and the whole world rolls her eyes. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning into The Candace Malcolm Show. I hope everyone out there had a wonderful weekend and I hope you had a great Halloween celebration. I'll just say, for me, I love Halloween. So when you're a little kid, Halloween is just the best. There's so much anticipation, there's so much buildup. You sort of have like your events at school, you, you get to dress up at school and everyone in your neighborhood starts dressing up or starts decorating their home, you start decorating your home. There's like a lot of anticipation building up to the big night, which is Halloween. And then there's so many different ways that you can sort of celebrate Halloween. You can go out trick-or-treating, you can go to a haunted house, you can go uh, watch scary movies with your friends, you can stay home and hand out candy. There's just lots, lots to do, lots of excitement. And again, being a kid, on Halloween is the best and then you get older and Halloween kind of changes it's not really about getting scared and going trick-or-treating it's more about you know wearing costumes and going to parties and that kind of thing especially in university so Halloween is different it's still fun then you leave university and the whole appeal of just like going to a party or going to a bar in Halloween costume kind of loses its appeal and so for me there was like a while where there's just nothing really to do on Halloween so it sort of changed I lived in a city I lived in an apartment building there were no kids around there's no trick-or-treaters so there's no point in getting candy to hand out because no one's coming to the door there's no kids around there's no real point in decorating and Halloween just sort of loses some of its fun uh, but then you have your own kids and when your kids get excited about Halloween it becomes like as exciting as it was when you were a kid if not more because you kind of get to see it all through your child's eyes so we're, we're sort of at a stage in our household where the kids just get really excited especially uh, my son he's almost three and he just loves the idea of Halloween he loves the decorations he loves getting dressed up we took him trick-or-treating for a little bit he, he he wasn't as into that because he's a little um, scared to go up to the doors and stuff like that but he loved being at home handing out the candy to the other kids the bigger kids who were coming trick-or-treating so we just had a great time and it really was fun now I, I, wa I want to point your attention uh, to a tweet that that was making uh, some attention online some people shared it with me and to me this is just one, one more reason why the left is totally insane and one more reason why uh, for your own mental health you should stay off of Twitter stay off of social media because it is just a totally insane platform so this tweet comes from an individual who is a he's a doctor He's a professor. He is the head of Brown University School of Public Health. So he's the head of a public health school at an Ivy League university in the United States, the, the best and the brightest, the top, top medical um, experts and, and practitioners here. So this is Dr. Ashish Jha, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Dr. Jha said this, kids going trick-or-treating was safe last year. It is exceedingly safe this year. No need for the kids to wear a mask if they're staying outdoors unless of course the mask is a scary part of the costume and then he does a little funny winky face so this is this is correct and you know this is the medical opinion of someone who is very prestigious uh has, has a very very prestigious position and uh, so what is the reaction of course well this guy gets totally mobbed um people are outraged that he would say this and and you really see people sort of like diving deep to try to find an example of why this guy is wrong and so you see tweets like this what about the positive air pressure when the door opens or a bunch of kids close to one another screaming trick-or-treat until vaccinated i still think there should be caution so just a couple points about this one twitter is just so mean-spirited you can't even put out a fun light-hearted tweet a halloween tweet or an innocuous medical tweet that says something that's so obvious yes uh, kids are running around outside 
COVID isn't a threat when you're outside. Uh, it's kids. Kids don't really get COVID. The, as, as I covered in my show on the weekend, I wrote about my son column. I might do another show dedicated on this because it's just such an important issue. But kids don't don't really get sick from COVID. Kids don't really die from COVID. That's not really a thing. The death rate, uh, the, the case mortality rate for COVID with children, including teenagers under the age of 20 is 0 .002. 0 0.002 is the case mortality rate in Canada. Uh, there's been 17 deaths for people under the age of 20 in Canada out of a population of about 8 million people. So this whole idea that kids are at risk of COVID is wrong. And again, no, so they're outside, they're running around, kids aren't really getting COVID anyway, and the interactions are very short, very brief. So, so we, this idea that we have to push paranoia in our society about COVID is wrong. And then the other is just the mob mentality on Twitter. You know, again, someone puts out an innocuous tweet that's pretty accurate and based on his medical uh, expertise and experience. And, you know, you have all these sort of leftist, Democrat, uh, liberal types just completely um, replying with insanity, um, saying that the science is there on their side, even though, you know, they're talking to a very prestigious um, head of a public health unit at uh, Ivy League University in the US. Just totally, totally silly and ridiculous. Look, if you enjoy The Candace Malcolm Show, if you're watching this video on YouTube right now, I encourage you to like the video. Don't forget to subscribe to True North. Leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. And don't forget to hit that little red notification bell to never miss an episode. All those things really help us out. If you're watching on Facebook, don't forget to like this video, like our True North page, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. Finally, if you're listening to the show in podcast form over on Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or wherever Wherever you get your podcast, if you enjoy the content, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps us. It helps our discoverability for people who don't know about True North, don't know about the Candace Malcolm Show. It will increase the likelihood that they will be able to find this podcast. So please do that. It really helps us out. And don't forget to subscribe to the Candace Malcolm Show so that you never miss an episode. Okay, so the big news of the weekend was that Justin Trudeau went on another international junket. The entire focus of all of his visits, all of his trips, has been to lecture the world, lecture others on climate change, and I will explain why it is completely ridiculous for him to do that. Now, I just want to point this out. Last time Justin Trudeau went on one of these junkets, his staff told Bloomberg that Justin Trudeau envisioned himself as the dean of the G7. Angela Merkel was stepping down, which means that Justin Trudeau is the longest serving leader of the G7. And so he wants to be considered the leader and the dean. And that is how he thinks of himself. That is how he goes about these international junkets. It, it's kind of a joke because as everyone knows, Justin Trudeau doesn't have a lot of worldly experience. He didn't have a lot of work experience before becoming prime minister. He kind of just like partied his way through his 20s and 30s and then woke up at age 40 and said, you know what, I'd like to be prime minister and Canadians rewarded him with that um, by the age of 41. So that's the Justin Trudeau story. He's not a very serious guy and you can see that as prime minister, he usually embarrasses himself. He usually wears silly costumes and he's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. Regardless, he still wants to be seen as the super serious leader. And so we see that Justin Trudeau on these junkets. And the second one is climate alarmism. Everything that Justin Trudeau talks about, all of his messages, all of his announcements, it all ties back to climate alarmism. He, he doesn't even call it climate change anymore. He calls it the climate crisis. And he treats it as though it's the biggest issue going on in the world right now. I mean, can you imagine being that sort of out of touch with the world? We're, we're, we're still grappling uh, from the impacts of the global pandemic. There has been an absolute ravaging of the global economy and it's still present everywhere. You can see it with the supply chain uh, problems and the amount of time it takes to get 
um, things shift. There's still huge supply chain issues. Uh, we're still dealing with higher unemployment. So many businesses that went under, so many people who have lost their jobs, um, still the sort of threat, a looming threat of a fourth wave and more lockdowns to come. And then that's not even getting into the financial side of things, the rapid out of control spending that Western countries have taken on, including and especially Canada, the sort of threat of ongoing inflation that could go to hyperinflation. You know, the governments are just printing mass, mass amounts of money. They've never really experimented with this kind of levels of debt before. And there is a lot of concern about the overproduction of money, meaning the devaluation of money and the impact that will have. And yet, we don't really hear a lot about that. Instead, we hear a lot about climate change as if that's the biggest and the only threat uh, to the world. And then the second, the second element at play, so the first one is climate alarmism. And the second one is still the COVID theatrics because we are still living in this sort of post-COVID, uh, post-pandemic world. All the world leaders want to heavily virtue signal about wearing masks and taking all these precautions, lecturing everybody about getting vaccinated. And that's sort of the second uh, theme that we see throughout. Um, both of them are based on virtue signaling. Both of them are based on promoting their own woke credentials, woke left-wing credentials. And they're both based on pushing a socialist far-left worldview and uh, far-left policies into the world. So, so, so those are the major issues at play. The first stop on Justin Trudeau's uh, little whirlwind across Europe here was in the Netherlands. Justin Trudeau went on a bilateral visit to the Netherlands to talk about, you guessed it, climate change, uh, fighting extremism. Uh, I guess they're talking about far-right extremism, which again, isn't really a threat at all, but that's the threat that Justin Trudeau uh, pretends is the biggest threat in the world. And then the climate threat, that's according to the CBC. So we see this headline over on the CBC. Trudeau says Canada and the Netherlands must join forces to fight extremism and climate threat. So again, we're supposed to believe that the biggest threats in the world right now uh, are the threat of what extremism, which Trudeau talking about conspiracy theories, intolerance, marginalized angry people online. Uh, supposedly that's the biggest threat to the world as well as their climate alarmism. And so out of this, we saw an announcement that Canada and the Netherlands were going to be working together to create a new NATO center based on climate security. So there will be a center for climate security in NATO. Canada will be a leader in this starting in 2023. So, uh, you know, on the, on the upside, Justin Trudeau is actually talking about national security, uh, which is rare and probably a good side. But the downside will be that it is heavily steeped in leftist ideology focused on climate alarmism. Uh, and of course, the media being the media, they always fixate on Justin Trudeau, the celebrity. They love to find stories about how Justin Trudeau is famous within certain pockets of society in other countries. And so we see this from the CBC's JP Tasker. Of course, there's this dude in the Netherlands who's the head of a leftist Green Party. And he looks like Justin Trudeau, I guess he, he has a uh, resemblance. And so this is what JP Tasker over at the CBC uh, focused on, you know, again, during Justin Trudeau is supposed to be doing something super serious and the media instead fixate on stupid little celebrity elements. So there's this guy in the Dutch parliament head of the green left party, and he kind of looks like Trudeau. So that's what JP uh, tweets about. He says, Trudeau took questions from the Dutch MPs assembled for his speech this morning. He was pressed by Jesse Claver, leader of the green left party about Canada's climate ambitions. Trudeau answered and then quipped, nice hair to Claver, who bears a striking resemblance to the PM. Jesse Claver has been dubbed by some media here as the Justin Trudeau of the Netherlands. 
he bears an uncanny resemblance to our PM. So again, trying to make it seem like Justin Trudeau is this big global celebrity that the Netherlands, uh, you know, has this politician and they call him the Justin Trudeau of the Netherlands. Why? Because he sort of looks like Justin Trudeau. Look, this guy's got kind of like like curly hair, long for a politician, long for a political leader. He doesn't really look like Justin Trudeau on his face, but he, you know, he's he looks young and his hair is kind of out of control. So no, he doesn't really bear an uncanny resemblance to our PM. No, he, he doesn't bear a striking resemblance to him. He just has similar kind of hair to how Justin Trudeau used to wear his hair like 10 years ago. And the media is fixating on this. Why? I have no idea. But it is because they're obsessed with Justin Trudeau's looks. They're obsessed with the celebrity aspect of Justin Trudeau. They swoon over him. They think he's good looking and they see this guy and they think he's good looking. So they want to talk about his looks and they want people in Canada to think that Justin Trudeau is just this like well-known, revered leader. But no, Justin Trudeau is pretty much the butt of a lot of jokes around the world. And a lot of that comes from the way that he behaves on these international junkets, the way that he acts, the way that he virtue signals, some of the silly things that he says that are so steeped in woke ideology, or just the lack of self-awareness he has when he gets dressed up, when he dances, when he does all kinds of silly, silly things. Okay, so Justin Trudeau moves on from the Netherlands and he goes over to Rome for the G20 summit. Trudeau goes with his finance minister, Christia Freeland, who really has no business being the finance minister. Let me just say that she came into politics as a journalist. She was a journalist for Bloomberg for many years. She wrote books about really wealthy individuals. And then she, and she never really worked on the business side. She came into the Trudeau government. She was given the foreign affairs uh, position because she's sort of a worldly person. She speaks a bunch of different languages. She was at least better fitted for foreign affairs. Then she got promoted because she's such a good lackey to Justin Trudeau. She's such a good sidekick that Trudeau promoted her to finance minister, even though she really doesn't have the background in finance. It's really embarrassing uh, to Canada to have a finance minister that has so little background and experience when it comes to banking and finance. So here we have Christia Freeland, and she is also becoming a total joke on the world stage. So she apparently, this is a tweet from Politico, a US reporter. He tweeted this, he said, when a minister, Canada's Christia Freeland, arrives 45 minutes late to a 30 minute press conference, and then her team announces that only Canadian journalists are allowed to ask her questions. Maybe stay home in Canada if you only want to talk about Canadians, he writes. Pretty devastating stuff. And again, it shows how Canada is not really as revered as some liberals like to think. Um, the Trudeau government isn't really as respected among the international media. The international media don't give them the same sort of kid glove treatment as the Canadian media does. And the, the international media are always kind of a little surprised by just how unprofessional uh, Trudeau and his team are and some of the really crazy demands um, that again, the Canadian journalists put up with because they love the liberals, they want the liberals to do well, they worship Justin Trudeau, or because they are on the dole, they are receiving their salaries from the Trudeau government, and so they can't really criticize them. They just sort of do what they're told. So this guy from Politico, he goes on, his name's Ryan Heath, he says, it gets better, the spokesperson actively physically intervened to stop Stuart Lau and I from asking a quick question as the presser wrapped and ushered Freeland out of the room. So again, just really, really unprofessional, really embarrassing, kind of Bush League, amateurish uh, tactics by our finance minister and her team. And it just shows just how over their head and out of their league they are when it comes to these international junkets. So Justin Trudeau, while they were at this G20 summit, in Rome, he met with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and they discussed, you guessed it, 
climate change. According to the Prime Minister's Office release from that, they talked about their shared priorities in advance of the COP26 summit. So Trudeau says that climate progress was made at the G20 summit, but Canada wanted a more ambitious plan. So they put out this press release saying that climate change was at the top of today's agenda. We focused on how we can increase climate ambition during this critical decade and what more we can do to phase out coal, reduce methane emissions, increase support for adaption and fund nature-based solutions. So I just quickly want to say, look, so there's three parts to Trudeau's international junket. The first was a bilat in Holland. The second one was this G20 meeting in Rome. And the third one was COP26 in Scotland, which we will get to next. So he does these three different meetings and all of them he was obsessed and almost solely focused on climate change. Well, the point of the G20 meeting is the leaders of the top 20 economies on planet Earth. They get together to talk about finances and the economy. The whole point is to talk about economic security, talk about the global financial system. It is not to talk about climate change. And the very next meeting that you're going to on Sunday is entirely focused on climate change. So for one G20 meeting, for one day, you couldn't just talk about global finances. Trudeau always had to swing it back, always had to make it about his pet little issue and not focus on some of the bigger issues in the world, like I talked about before. The issues with supply chain, it's still a huge problem, um, massive, massive disruptions around the world with supply chain issues, which is why it's taking so long um, to get things. Uh, There's huge waits everywhere. It's a major problem. Trudeau doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't want to talk about monetary policy. We know that from the election campaign, he said that he doesn't think about monetary policy, but inflation and the threat of hyperinflation is a huge problem. And perhaps just again, one day, Mr. Prime Minister, spend one day of your year talking about the serious financial and economic issues and not virtue signaling about climate. Uh, But alas, this just shows again what a total embarrassing joke our government is, especially on the world stage. That's when you can see it the most. So next Sunday, Trudeau uh, jetted off to the COP26 meeting in Scotland. So what exactly is COP26? So the UK is hosting this, the 26th annual United Nations Climate Change Conference of the Parties in Glasgow from October 31st. It started on Sunday and it goes all the way to November 12th. COP just stands for Conference of the Parties. So the COP26 summit will bring parties together to accelerate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement and the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. More than 100 countries will take part. And so this is just sort of the follow-up to the Paris Agreement. Now we are going to have the probably the Glasgow Agreement, which will be even more ambitious in terms of reducing emissions and uh, pushing the sort of anti-energy, anti-oil worldview. And so the message coming out of COP26 was eat less meat and fly less, which again is just such an ironic message given that we had what hundreds and hundreds of planes flying in from all over the world to attend this silly little uh, summit. According to our friends over at the National Review, the big climate change summit welcomed up to 30,000 officials flying in on planes. Private jets flying into the COP26 meeting will blast more CO2 than the Scots pump out in a year. This according to the Daily Record, a US outlet. So there will be more emissions from this one weekend of climate change virtue signaling than all of Scotland puts out in an entire year. Just, Just think about that for a second and think about that next time you hear Justin Trudeau bloviating about climate change and how 
we all need to do more. So there were more than 400 private jets carrying world leaders and business executives into COP26, which will blast 13,000 tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, the Sunday Mail revealed. So again, just, just pure hypocrisy over by the global elites. Okay, I just want to share this one quick tweet because it's pretty amusing. This comes from Canadian journalist Glenn McGregor, who was very, very annoyed. Glenn McGregor, by the way, is a CTV journalist. He is a member of the Parliamentary Press Gallery, and he is very, very annoyed that he had to wait in line in order to get into this conference. So here he posts this photo of all these people waiting to get into the conference. He says this, massive lineups at delegate media security screening points for COP26 in Glasgow, not COVID safe not smart security, poorly done, Scotland. And then he has a following tweet. Glenn McGregor is clearly very annoyed that he had to wait in line here. He follows up and says, I've been to G7s, G20s, APEC summits, Summit of the Americans, and the United Nations General Assembly, and I've never seen anything like this before. The UN and host countries should be embarrassed. Shows poor planning. Okay, Glenn McGregor, so sorry that you had to wait outside for a few minutes. I know it must have been just horrible. Well, the idea of a big conference welcoming, what, 30,000 people? I mean, anyone who's ever been to a festival or any anyone who's ever been to Disneyland uh, knows that when you're dealing with huge crowds, there's often huge lines. And this whole idea that it is not COVID safe. Uh, give me a break. One, you're outside. You're going to be safe outside. Number two, I guarantee that all of these people are vaccinated because they're exactly the type of people who would be vaccinated. I wouldn't be surprised if they required vaccination in order to get in. And third, from best I can tell, everyone's wearing a mask. So this whole idea that you just cry that it's not COVID safe anytime you don't get your way is pretty uh, pathetic. I just want to point this out quickly, as it is with any of these international junkets, the whole thing is, is hypocrisy. Obviously, all these elites fly in from all over the world. They lecture us about eating less meat and flying less. Meanwhile, they fly to their heart's content all over the world. It's always been the case. And then the second major thing is that these conferences always punish advanced, developed Western countries. They always punish the United States, um, particularly Canada as well. And there's no buy-in from the rest of the global community. There's no buy-in from countries like China and India both of which are the largest emitters. You're not going to have a plan to reduce emissions around the world without the buy-in of China and India. And I'll just quickly note how basically these two countries are saying no to this entire scheme. So China's leader Xi Jinping did not even bother to attend COP26. I actually kind of give him credit for this. He didn't want to fly in and sort of be part of this whole hypocritical show. So he attended by video link and basically China sends a modest climate pledge to Glasgow according to the South China Post. The updated document includes President Xi Jinping's pledge last September that China will reach peak carbon emissions before 2030 and achieve neutrality, also known as net zero before 2060, compared with China's previous pledge submitted in 2016. There are also higher commitments to reducing emissions. So China didn't bother to show up to the meeting and the commitment that they sent in was really modest compared to what the Western countries are demanding. So India also rejected calls to announce what their net zero carbon emission target would be. So you have China saying, yeah, we'll probably get to it around 2060 and India saying, no, we're not getting to it at all, which again, makes it a lot harder for those in the West to claim that this is a global effort when the largest emitters, China and India are clearly not on board. 
And of course, there is the elephant in the room, which is that Canada and Justin Trudeau have not met their own targets. Canada is not meeting its own targets, and yet here we are lecturing the entire world and saying that none of these targets go far enough. Well, it's only a little bit hypocritical. So despite being in office since 2015 and implementing a wide-ranging set of policies and schemes to tackle climate change, including the carbon tax, Trudeau's record isn't anything to brag about. And who could forget this story over at TNC, liberals are set to miss their 2020 emission targets by up to 99%. That was from True North, that story came out last year. So the liberals are poised to miss their 2020 greenhouse gas emissions target by up to 99.2%, according to the latest government data. In his first term as prime minister, Justin Trudeau proposed a plan to reduce emissions in 2020 to 17% less than 2005 levels with a goal of achieving a 30% below 2005 benchmark by 2030. In 2005, Canada admitted 730 million tons of greenhouse gases, according to Trudeau's plans. Emissions in 2020 should be down to 606 tons, yet government data revealed that Canada emitted 729 million tons of greenhouse gases this year. And then there was this embarrassing report saying that Canada's emissions have increased the greatest in the G7 since the Paris report. So this is from the left-wing Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. They say that Canada has shown the greatest emissions increase since the G7 and the 2016 Paris Accord. So again, how can Justin Trudeau be taken seriously as the dean of the G7 when his biggest priority is climate alarmism and he can't even meet his own targets despite implementing pretty widespread sweeping policies in Canada, including the carbon tax. So Justin Trudeau's priorities don't match up with his abilities. He can't actually implement the things that he really, really cares about. And that is because his abilities and his priorities are completely counter to the world that we live in, real life, human nature. You cannot just simply move away uh, from the source of energy in a country. And Justin Trudeau is just so naive to even be trying. He's so out of his league. He is so embarrassing. And every time he goes to one of these international junkets or shows up on the world stage to start lecturing everybody about climate alarmism, it becomes increasingly clear that this man should not be taken seriously. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.